Hello and welcome to episode 45 of Fergo and the Freak. I'm that bloke from Rugby League Project, Andrew Ferguson. You can find me on Twitter at AndrewLP. Joining me as always is League Freak, who you can find on Twitter at League Freak. How are you today, mate? I'm very good. I'm really looking forward to this episode. This might be uh, my favourite episode we've ever done. I already know that. Yeah, likewise, because uh, joining us today is Associate Professor at La Trobe University, neuroscientist Alan Pierce. How are you today, mate? Hi. Yeah, good, thanks. It's good. Now, now uh, yep, go on, Andrew. You go. Okay, so <laughs> today we're going to talk about uh, CTE. It's the uh, big topic at the moment in rugby league. Um, CTE, chronic traumatic encephalopathy, is, is that pronounced almost correctly? Yeah, the Americans call it encephalopathy. We tend to call it encephalopathy. Oh, there we go. Um, yeah. So we had a, a report came out recently which said that two um, players had uh, had passed away, had had their brains checked, and they, they found traces of CT in there as a, as a bit of a, uh, a rough sort of wrap-up of what went on there. Um, so at this stage, is it possible to only determine if someone has CTE once they've died and an autopsy has been done? And um, if so, how far away are we from being able to detect CTE in players while they're still alive? Okay, yes. So the first question is, yes, only in uh, autopsy can the, I guess you could say that the official diagnosis of CTE can be given. Now, just to to put this in light, um, and we know so much about Alzheimer's disease, for example, um, whilst we're very, you know, we're we're very um, aware of of Alzheimer's and dementias, um, incidentally, the only true way of, of diagnosing Alzheimer's is, is in post-mortem as well. But we're so familiar with Alzheimer's and, Alzheimer's and dementia when someone does have those symptoms, we're pretty confident that it is um, Alzheimer's. But essentially, um, it's the same principle for a lot of these neurodegenerative diseases. It can only be done um, post-mortem. Now, uh, in <clears throat> in America, where they're probably you know well ahead in the in the research of CTE than here in Australia. Um, the uh, Boston University group um, have been trying to answer that question of um, diagnosing or, or imaging CTE <clears throat> in living people. And uh, they uh, they published a, a paper uh, la- last year, I think it was, late last year, um, with some preliminary, preliminary evidence uh, to show that the you know, the way that the, and we'll talk about a bit more later, the, the tau formation for CTE is being shown up in a, uh, in a um, imaging machine. So, oh, yeah. uh, but again, it's only preliminary and, you know, there needs to be a lot more work in order for that to be, um, I guess, validated with the post-mortem before we start to get confident about diagnosing um, in, the, in the living. Yeah, and so with, I mean, if they're able to image the tau, because um, I've been reading up on this quite a lot the last few days, if they're able to image that in somebody that's living, would that also have implications for people that have um, dementia and possibly Alzheimer's as well? Because I, my understanding is that uh, in CTE cases, it's normally people that are, are younger and it, their brain basically looks like somebody that is a much older person that has dementia. Is that the case? Yeah, I guess you could say in some respect that um, it's a form of accelerated ageing. So all our brains, obviously, with ageing, you do get some tau um, in the brain. Um, it's yeah. just part of the ageing process. And, um, you know, and, and I guess that's sort of uh, how we talk about people sort of having a bit of 
cognitive decline, getting old and, and you know, dottery and that sort of stuff, um, even though that, that's another conversation again where it may not be true. But, but generally speaking, yeah, what you're seeing in the, in, a, in the brain of someone with CTE is uh, in younger people what you would see in an older person who may go towards Alzheimer's or dementia if, if they're heading down that pathway. Um, the big difference, though, is, is how the tau forms in a CTE brain versus someone with a Alzheimer's or dementia uh, brain. And so what is that difference? Like, obviously, that allows there to be a, a difference in diagnosis between it being somebody that has CTE and dementia. What is the difference in the way that it is formed? Is it formed in a different parts of the brain as well? Yeah, essentially what the, and again, this is still very controversial, but mm-hmm. where where we're sitting at the moment with CTE is, is the, the presentation of, of CTE in the early stages versus someone with Alzheimer's or other forms of dementia. So, uh, with CTE in particular, the, the presentation of the tau protein um, is very much in the in the depths of the sulky. So if you look at the brain and you see it's got all the all the curves, sorry, the, the wedges and the you know up and down, all the lines. Well, basically, what that is, they're folds in the brain, and mm-hmm. so you have the uh, gyri, which is the top part, and then you see the line. Well, think about that as a fold. Mm-hmm. And that is called the sulky. Now, at the bottom of the sulky, you have um, obviously blood vessels and, and capillaries and, and whatnot to, to, to feed the brain. And what you find is that the tau starts to aggregate around the, that uh, capilla- those capillaries of blood vessels. So they call that mm-hmm. the perivascular space at the depth of the sulky. How's that for you? <laughs> That's very, very good. <laughs> so, and so my yeah. question is, does that... Does the tau, uh, it, does it cut off the blood supply or or does it have a physical effect on the brain's ability to pass uh, like the neurons and things like that through the brain? Is so it, Which way does it work on the brain? So it, Yeah, so it, it affects the, the actual brain cells. Okay. So the tau itself uh, starts to um, essentially kill off healthy neurons or brain mm-hmm. cells. So that's the thing. So obviously the blood blood is still, it doesn't affect the actual vascular part of the brain. It's more about affecting the brain cells itself. Um, yeah. and, and why they, they at the moment, the, the, theor, the, the theoretical or the, the hypothesis is that um, it's aggregating around that part of the brain in the initial stages because it's due to head trauma. Oh, so, and, okay. I see. Yeah, yeah. So if you're thinking about someone being hit, um, you know, by the concussion or even what we call subconcussive hits, you know, sort of big significant hits that don't lead towards a, um, you know, concussion symptoms, um, but certainly someone's taken a good whack, but they get back up and, and continue to run on or keep playing and there's apparently no problems. So if you can think about the brain um, in the sack of fluid that, that protects it, but also there are very very tiny little little uh, what we call meninges that that tether the brain the, the brain to the skull. Now, if you can think about the gyri on top, sort of having that bit of tethering, but the sulky underneath is is free. It's, yeah, so it's almost free floating off of because it's right. so far off of it. Yeah. Yeah. So that that part moves. So what they're thinking in terms of of why CTE develops the way it does, and it's still open to, to you know, quite fierce debate, is that that's where a lot of the, the biomechanical movement is occurring with an impact. 
And so that's where the towel gets released through some form of, of, of damage after the impact. Okay. Is there is there any way to, to find out in somebody that is alive if there are micro tears or something at that level uh, within the brain or even within the capillaries? I mean, is that kind of the maybe the direction that, that doctors are thinking that maybe the damage is sustained, that it comes from micro tears or something from concussions and, and just general head yeah. knocks? Yeah, so not necessarily specifically to CTE, but in the United States uh, with some very advanced neuroimaging, so not your your normal MRI where you go to the hospital or, or a imaging place and you know you get a scan of your brain or your knee or whatever. That's a, a magnetic resonance image, and that's normally in, in you know black and grey and white. Um, that resolution of those those scanners aren't good enough to pick up. But certainly in America, and we've got a couple of places now that have opened up in Australia with some very advanced scanners that we're doing some research, but but still way off getting some preliminary data. So can't go down that path at the moment. But certainly in America, um, what they've found is, as I said, not so much about the actual spots of the parts of the brain that we're thinking about CTE, but deeper in the brain. So you have the grey matter, which is the outside part, mm-hmm. and then you have the white matter, which is the deeper part of the brain now the gray matter part is your thinking part of the brain and it's the doing part of the brain but the white matter is really important because it connects all the parts of the gray matter together mm-hmm. so think about it like a freeway or a highway mm-hmm. um, and it's connecting you to different parts of the brain now what they're showing in america even after one season of football american football with no concussions necessarily is that there is starting to get some damage to the white matter parts of the brain. Wow. And so that does affect various parts of the grey matter being able to communicate to each other f- effectively. So it can affect, um, you know, some, some memory or cognitive skills, you know, just stuff that we do every day. It may, may affect that. And that's, you know, that's just after one season. Wow, that's absolutely unbelievable. Um, uh, one question I wanted to ask is how much transfer of information is there between the US where they're really sounds like they're leading this research quite away and uh, Australian uh, you know universities and hospitals and things like that because it, it's a little bit surprising to me that there sounds like there's almost independent research going on. I thought it would have been a collective research across the world. Yeah that's a, that's a really good question because at the moment, the answer really is is no. Um, wow. I think it's because America um, kind of is, is concerned about their own sports and yeah, they're not yeah. ne- that necessarily interested in other sports. Now, in saying that, with the with the brain bank that has just opened up, uh, you know, in Oct- in Sydney in October, and and we opened the Victorian arm about two weeks ago, um, you know, we're part of the global brain bank initiative which is run out of boston university so we are now going to start collaborating with people um, in boston uh, brazil canada um, and the uk as well so we should start to see a bit more um, you know exchange of information um, you know to, to try and understand what's going on because concussion and head trauma isn't necessarily is not limited by you know geographical location it's not limited by the type of sport that someone plays it's not limited by the level of sport someone plays so it, it's much of an issue at the community and club level as it is at the uh, elite level and it and it certainly doesn't um you know obviously discriminate in uh, across gender either 
Um, when um, if you get to a point where you you're fairly confident that you you've nailed down what's causing CTE, is there anything you can do to help a player while they're still alive deal with the issues? Like uh, maybe not so much a cure, but also maybe a way to reduce the impacts of it, other than you know stop playing football, I guess. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, and certainly, you know, you can't can't just say, well, let's just not not play any sort of contact sport because, um, and whilst everyone might want to, you know, may not want to play badminton or table tennis, um, you know, it might be a case that, well, if we don't have people playing sport or doing physical activity that might involve some contact, uh, then what's the what's the flip side of that? And, you know, we've got chronic diseases occurring because of lack of physical activity we're seeing even now. So it could be a complete disaster if we're not encouraging people to play a sport that they actually enjoy. So we've really got to think about um, how do we try and mitigate this issue? Uh, and at this stage, it's probably, you know, while, while you know, we, we understand that CTE is, is due to repetitive head trauma, it's it's only a risk factor, so not everyone's going to get it. <clears throat> and generally speaking, the ones that who could be at higher risk are the ones who are coming back to play too soon, or who are not letting people know that they've had a uh, you know knock to the head um, with or without symptoms. Um, there's still a lot of cultural problems around that, like admitting that you've been um, you know you've had an impact to the head and you should come off and get assessed. You know the 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 whole. Um, DNA of, a, of an athlete, and it doesn't have to be just elite athletes. You know, I work with club athletes, is to is to play through pain, to play through, um, you know, adversity. So why would I come off if I thought I saw some stars after I got an elbow to the head accidentally? I I, I don't want to let my teammates down. I don't want to be seen as weak. So that's a, that's part of the issue that we've just got to change the culture and the attitude towards this injury, um, or you know, even sub concussion, and and try and get people to understand, look, let's just not take the risk. Let's have a, a proper assessment. If you need to take some, some time off, then let's do that because, um, you know, we could extend playing careers by four to five years if someone needs to take a break rather than trying to hide the injury. And how long should players probably take to make sure that they're fully over a concussion and safe to return to um, contact sport, even contact training, I guess? Yeah. And that's that's one of the, the big questions that we're trying to address. So at the moment, um, different different codes have different times off. Um, and that can be, you know, a good. Well, the consistency is not good, but but taking time off, mandatory time off can be seen as a good thing. But it can also be a catalyst for players to hide their symptoms as well, because they don't want to miss out on that big game coming up the following week or a preliminary final or, you know, God forbid, a, a grand final. Um, yeah. So what what we really are trying to do, and this is part of my research, is to look at the um, physiological recovery period after a concussion because people are very individual. This is a very individual um, uh, injury. So, you know, you can get two people with a, with a similar impact and they'll have completely different uh, recoveries, different symptoms. Um, and, it, you know, it, it, it's really hard to just give a, a blanket, you know, one, one fit all approach to this. So a lot of research is actually trying to understand, can we actually measure people to a point where we know that they they are actually, that person is actually ready to go back and play rather than having a blanket uh, time off. 
Now, the other part of it too is that at the moment, all our return to play decisions are based on, on um, you know, a, a clinical assessment, which is fine, which is great. But um, what we're finding from some of the research is that symptom resolution or recovery doesn't necessarily equal physiological recovery. So what I mean by that is someone can get a, a concussion, they can show no symptoms, you know, within three or four days after their headaches are gone, they, they you know, they can do all their, all their, um, they can answer all the questions and do all that, all that sort of uh, number, re reverse number and, and reverse months and whatnot quite comfortably. But what we've seen, and this has been shown as well in United States and Canada, is that when we do some physiological measures, they haven't returned to baseline. Oh, wow. That's so interesting because that... That's an issue with the HIA because that's the only way they can really assess a player, obviously, yeah. during a game. Yes. And that's obviously, right. that's something that they're also doing during the week as well. They're not really going yeah. too much more in depth than that. That's right. And so, one of the things that is a, a, a question relating around that is that uh, we're seeing from American and European studies is that uh, if you are concussed, your risk of injury, musculoskeletal risk, so it could be an ankle, could be a knee, whatever, is uh, increased by two and a half times if they're not fully recovered. Wow. So wow. you might see people who get concussed and then several weeks later they do a knee or they do an ankle. We haven't linked the research yet back to brain physiology or brain processing, but my thinking is that, well, if there's an in increase in risk of injury after concussion, maybe it's because that split-second um, awareness and processing that you've got to do and decision-making is compromised, even by, say, you know, a few hundred milliseconds could be the difference between making a decision to go into that contest or not and then do it, having an injury. So wow, would it be incredible. wise? I was going to say, would it be wiser then for, like, in, our, in the NRL, instead of having a HIA done where... Um, you know, a test is done to see if someone's concussed or not, whether it would be smarter to just, if they've had a head knock, that's mm. been serious enough to determine a HIA is required, that they just don't come yes. onto the field at all. Like, they just don't return to the game at all. Would that be smarter? That's right. Yes, yes. Okay. Yeah, that, that's right. If it's, if, you know, in, in Scotland, they use the if in doubt, sit it out. And so if there is still any doubt, um, then players should just, you know, sit out the rest of the game. Um and, and that might be a little bit too conservative or a bit too, oh, you know, we're being a bit of a nanny state. But as I said before, you know, we're seeing so many guys, and this is only at the elite level, we're seeing so many guys retire prematurely in absolute, you know, devastated, in tears, that they can't play the sport they love. If if we can just instill that, okay, look, we can't take a chance here because this is your brain, mm. um, then you might still be able to play in for another four to five years. You know, just by taking that rest of that game out, you know, and and, and just making sure everything is is right, um, because you know, brain tissue is not muscle tissue. It's completely different. It's you know, our brain is such an you know the most important organ. If I can be a bit biased that way, um, you know, so we need to to really look after our brain. And and the other part of it too is that we can't see the brain like we can see a a corky or a, or a you know some sort of swelling of the knee because of ligament damage or, or whatnot. Um, yeah, we, we can't see that because it's hidden in the noggin. So it's it's one of those uh, issues that we, we just need to be – we need to invest more research, but we also need to be really careful with it. Um, with uh, the studies that have been done, has there been anything to try and link 
to to see if there are certain people that are genetically predisposed to getting concussions or CTE more than other people because it seems as though anecdotally there are some players that can they mm. they get concussions very very easily and other players you know they can get hit by a truck and they bounce back up yeah um, that's right it, yes is there has there been studies in that area and and if so like what have they shown and it, would it be something yeah. that you might be able to do even a DNA test on a player and say, look, you're at a higher risk than uh, your teammates or, or even yeah. going to somebody and saying contact sport isn't for you? Well, yeah, so there's two parts to that question. The first part is that they're going down that track in terms of genetics. So um, we know from boxing studies that there's a particular gene called the APOE4 gene, which seems to um, be affected with boxing, but it doesn't seem to be affected with football. And oh, I think wow. the reason for that is because boxing is repetitive, you know, punches to the head, whereas football, yeah. you get a fair amount of knocks, but it's not, you know, you're, you're not just hitting the head like they do in, in, foot, in, in, sorry, in boxing. Yeah. So, but there are a number of other genes that are, are starting to get identified, and I think it's going to be more than just obviously one gene, just like anything. That it's going to be a whole what we call panel of genes that, that may be affected or turn on or turn off as a result of head injuries, and that may explain why certain players seem to struggle to recover or are easier to get concussed than other players. As you said, you know, you can run through a truck and they get up and they keep going. But the bottom line is, again that that is not predictive of or preventative of potential CTE down the track. Yeah, because so, they, they're still yeah. getting the same damage. They're just having a different yeah. almost reaction, reaction to it. Exactly, exactly. So that is, that's, that's probably where, oh, sorry, that is where the research is going to start to go ahead, but we're very, very early days at the moment in terms of, of looking at that. Um, yeah, there's so much, so many areas of research. It's, it's just ridiculous where we have to go with this. Um, now, with the, with the, I guess the screening part, that's a, that's a bit of an ethical issue because mm. uh, if you are screening players who may be more susceptible to concussions or not, and then you say, well, you, you know, we're not going to pick you or we're not going to draft you, um, you know, tell an 18 year old that you're not going to draft them because you're concerned about their he- their ability to to sustain a concussion. Um, is is really going to be a whole can of worms. So it's a slippery slope. Not really, yeah, not really sure where to, where that's going to go as yet. But I think at the moment we're trying to understand why are some people seeming to show symptoms, signs and symptoms easier than others. You know, despite mm-hmm. the fact that they may have all got the same sort of similar hit to the head. Now, in uh, 2011, uh, Sean Valentine, a former NRL player who had to retire from head knocks. Um, it was reported that he was constantly having um, dizziness, confusion, grogginess, forgetfulness, uh, dry retching. Um, he even revealed that he would had a seizure once after getting out knocked after getting knocked out twice in one game. Um, a neurologist in Sydney said that um, regarding CTE, that the hard thing at that time was it could have been caused by a number of things like type two diabetes, thyroid disease, or a calcium disorder. I was just wondering if in the eight years since then, have we got better at um, cancelling out some of those other issues and getting closer to narrowing down that CTE might be more prevalent there? Well, certainly, I, I don't know about the CTE part because you know we can't determine that until um, you know post mortem. But certainly, you know the signs that he was showing were very much around um, 
post-concussion syndrome or persistent post-concussion symptoms. So obviously the seizure after a couple of hits, you know, like he went back on and, you know, that almost defies logic now. But back in 2011, that was still considered normal. And so, we, you know, with, with hindsight or, or putting 2019 a lens on 2011, we kind of look at that and just think, wow, how, do we, how did that ever happen? But at that time, there was just no information about uh, the well, there was information, but whether it was used, you know, or, or taken on board um, is uh, you know is debatable. But uh, it's it's one of those things where when we look at what happened, we can certainly say well they were the effects of concussion rather than an endocrine system or disorder or or uh, or some of the other system disorders that you described in the in the symptoms. Um, and so yeah, it, it's certainly we would be much more confident now that that is, you know, what we're seeing was was obviously, um, you know, post-concussion um, symptoms. Now, is, is there anything that if, if somebody out there, a former player or a former athlete or just somebody that's unfortunately been the victim of concussions, is if they feel as though they are suffering certain symptoms um, and they're not really sure if they should see a doctor or anything. Obviously, mm-hmm. the best thing is to see a doctor. But what are some of the symptoms that you see time and time again um, with with uh, people that suffer serious concussions mm-hmm. many times and maybe with CTE patients that stand out? Because there's been um, certain ones that we've seen mainly from the US in terms of people who have mood swings, um, impulse, mm-hmm. impulse control issues, there's yeah. drug and alcohol dependence issues. Uh, there's the dementia-like symptoms, uh, depression, mm-hmm. and the progressive cognitive decline. Is Are there other things that you, people can look out for if they've got concerns about that? <clears throat> I think um, the first thing is to try the, – the players need to probably think about their history of, of head injuries because most of them who've come into me as big – who've come to see me for the research is that they didn't even put the two things together. So mm-hmm. they didn't even realise that there are 20 concussions or, you know, some of them said, oh, look, I only had two or three concussions officially, but I think I was really knocked about probably a good 50, 60 times. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of them will go, well, I didn't even think that that could actually be why I'm struggling with my mood swings and, and screaming at my partner or my wife or not knowing where I put the keys or forgetting very basic things now where I used to be able to have no problems. And I thought also thought I was just getting old, but it's, you know, 48 years of age old. And mm. I'm like, mm, no. <laughs> so yeah. um, it's, it's trying to recognise that in the first instance to, in order for them to understand maybe they, they need to go and see a doctor or, or see, you know, go and see or get a referral from a doctor to see a neurologist or come in for, you know, obviously to the brain bank for research testing and, and can get some information that way. Um, because one of the other issues, I guess, is that, and it's no disrespect to GPs, but a lot of GPs are not really up to speed on on the issues surrounding um, concussion and post-concussion syndrome and and chronic manifestations of, of repeated head injury. So um, a lot of them will go and see their doctor and the doctor might say, oh, look, you're just depressed. And so mm-hmm. they'll just give them, you know, they'll just diagnose the depression rather than maybe looking at, um, you know, the, the the history and maybe what's leading towards that. So it's, um, you know, if they have had a career in, in contact sports and they 
um, have had other people tell them, look, you know, you've never been like this before. What's going on? And we've got to tease it out too because we don't want to cause paranoia and, and cause yeah. this what we call contagion of, of paranoia. So because someone gets on television and tells their story, then other players go, oh, maybe that's the same with me, and then we get this sort of knock-on effect. So the idea of the research is to also test them to make sure that they aren't getting anxious and and developing symptoms because of of the anxiety around the issue, the alarm of of what's being generated. So you know, I've I've had people you know in my my lab, and I've probably tested nearly well more than a hundred um, elite players now in my research, and um, uh, you know, not all of them are showing you know signs that they thought were in their self report. You know, and and oh really? So, you know, when you yeah, when you do show them, what I do is, you know, I, I, I use some techniques to, to measure the, the nervous system and the, and the brain. Um, and, um, you know, when you can show them some, you know, some objective data, like on the computer screen with what I'm actually doing, um, you can see the relief. Oh, that's you know, wonderful, yeah. So, you know, this is the why we have to do the research because, yeah, okay, in America they found 110 of 111 brains um, of NFL players by even by Boston's admission, you know, it was a skewed sample. They certainly mm-hmm. acknowledge that. So we need to test people, irrespective of, of you know their concern or not. We ha- I have players who go, oh you know, um, oh you know, I, I, I had thirty concussions, but I feel fine. You know, I don't think I need to come in for testing. I'm like, you're the person I need to test because yeah. I need to compare you to player X, who's absolutely struggling and can't understand why X, Y, and Z is happening. So I need to compare. I, it's nice to be able to compare to um, aged match controls with no history of concussion. So, you know, people who, who've never played contact sports, but I also need to compare to look at people who have and, and have apparently no, no ongoing problems. So that's, the, that's why we need to recruit as many people as possible um, to really mm-hmm. understand the rates and, and what we, you know, what is, what is it? It's certainly not going to be as high as 99%, I can tell you now. <laughs> Yeah, and I, the other thing is too, and this for any players that are listening as well, there's obviously, because there's so much talk about CTE and some of the effects of it, there'll be some players that will be scared to be um, diagnosed with CTE, even though they can't, it can't be diagnosed until post-mortems. There's going to be some people that are thinking, I've got CTE, I just don't want to think about it. Whereas they might just have something that they can actually get treated by going yeah. and seeing a doctor. That's right. So that's really yeah. important to let people know that it, it, it's mm-hmm. worth going and seeing somebody about it. Go and see a specialist because you might not mm-hmm. have any problems at all. It might be something that can be treated. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. So, um, you know, I, I guess, you know, being a little bit biased, if, if any, there are any, um, you know, football players, rugby players, uh, irrespective of the standard of play, um, if you do have any, you know, questions or anything, come and talk to us, um, and then we can also refer you to, you know, really to to doctors who are aware, so that that you know they do have some knowledge behind the issue of 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 concussions and repeated head trauma, so that then they're not necessarily going to see a, a local doctor who might or may not be up to speed on where where we're at. So at least then, you know, come to us first, and then we can help. Um, you know, to our network of, of um, you know, practitioners. 
And we can yeah. put some in our show notes. We can put some contact information as well in uh, our show notes. So we'll do that. Um, so mm. if you're listening to this podcast through your podcasting app, we'll have contact information that we'll be able to put there to get in touch. So yeah, absolutely. And I was going to say, um, slightly off the uh, off the direct topic of CT, um, how much funding do you think would be required to help further the research into CTE? Yeah, that's um, that's a tough question. Like that is that's a really good question because, look, just to, just to put it give it in context, I think you know, and, and you know, kind of scan of of where we're at um, nationally here in Australia on on um, formal research funding from the Australian governments. You know, we have the National Health and Medical Research Council and the Australian Research Council. Um, you know, we've probably got about you know pe- various people around Australia. It's probably about six or so million dollars of research going into this. If you look at America, they've probably got at least about a hundred million dollars going into this research. So you can wow. see the difference. Now, people go, "Oh, but we're still punching about our weight," and I'm like, "Well, I, I in some respects, again, I, I question that because when you look at the research that's being published, and and um, you know, I, I subscribe to a monthly listing of, of research that's being published around the world." Um, you find that there's probably about 50 to 60 papers a month coming out on concussion. It's a big area. Now, 95 to probably close to 99%, probably about, you know, uh, 50 or 60 papers, 55 or 56 will be from America or Canada. Um, you might get a, one or two from, from the UK and Europe, and then we might get one paper out of Australia every second month. So we're well behind uh, in terms of, of where we're at. And I guess, you know, if you look at, um, you know, the, the, the last week's uh, report on, on the CTE cases, you know, just coming out in Australia, whereas, you know, the first report was 2005 from Bennett Omalu, you know, so this is how far behind we are and we mm-hmm. need much, much more research funding into it. Now, I don't think that it's necessarily, you know, the responsibility of, of um, the national sporting organisations. You know, they have a really big job to do in, in promoting the sport and, and sport entertainment and, and all that sort of stuff. They're not a research institute. So as much as we probably would appreciate their support, you know, we need to get funding from the government, but we also need to get funding from um, philanthropists who love their sport um, if they are able to, you know, provide some tax, don- you know, tax uh, exempt donations, help their tax bill, um, you know, with all the stuff with ScoMo and all that, you know, um, <laughs> it'll, it, yeah, that would certainly help our research. And the other thing, too, is that we need to have the research independent. So there's no questions about people going, oh, well, you know, they found the, this this result because so-and-so funded them from from that sport or, or yeah, anything yeah. like that you know we've got to make sure that the research is done independently so you know if there's anyone listening out there who is wanting to help you know um how small how large it doesn't matter you know helping us to do how to do the research independently is the key to this absolutely and uh, i was just going to say i suppose the other thing that you'd need too is a cross-section of athletes from different codes so it's probably a good idea too for all of the sporting codes in australia especially the football codes to mm. to be united in this front, I guess, to try and help each other out because the head knocks that you're going to get in AFL are going to be much different to the ones you get in league because it's just different sports. You know, they're high, you know, they're running around everywhere. It's more. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I, yeah. I guess this is why it's so important that we do get 
uh, players from all codes and even other contact sports like lacrosse or hockey or ice hockey and that sort of stuff. Because as I said before, you know, a concussion doesn't discriminate on what type of hit in what sport. It doesn't matter what level you play. It doesn't matter um, your age. It doesn't matter your your gender. So we need to get everyone to unite to look at this and get it done properly without, you know, fear or favour because um, we, we need to answer these questions. Well, well, like th- this has been an incredible interview. Um, I think you've answered pretty much all of our questions that we had, and <laughs> I can talk about it this all day. You know, <laughs> mate, so could we. We know you're a bit strapped for time, but so could we. We would love to have you back on um, sometime in the near future yeah. because this is a this is a really important part of of sport in Australia, and I think that it's fantastic that after some of the horrible things that we've seen in US sports over probably the last 20 years and going back further than that, that in Australia, we're, we're kind of getting on the front foot a little bit so that we don't get to the levels that they hit with some of their former athletes before we decide that it's time to, to look into this and make sure that we're looking after our sportsmen and women. Absolutely. You know, we've got a really good opportunity here to to get it right and, and you know, not make any of the same mistakes and, and be really responsible about it. And, you know, by by addressing this front on, you know, we will be able to look after player health and welfare and, we you know, it will benefit the sport. It's not anything to do against the sport. It's to actually benefit the sport and benefit the people who are playing it. Yep, definitely. And that's that's a that's really important because I think that it's very easy for people that enjoy sport to get very defensive about things and but at the end of the day what what this whole thing is about it's it's about looking after and protecting our our own people the people that love this sport as much as anyone and that's the players that's the people that participate and they're the ones from all the way from the five-year-old that starts playing footy for the first time right up to you know the old bloke that's still running around in the country at 45. That's right exactly. Well, that's been uh, absolutely uh, splendid uh, interview, mate. Thanks for popping in today. Not and... a problem. I'm happy to come back anytime. So, absolutely loved it. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time. We'll definitely get you back. That's for sure. Um, we'll have all the contacts for Alan and uh, in the uh, episode description. Freaky's going to put those up. Uh, so, 